0: Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm your host, Maggie Flynn. My guest today is Paul Soda, the CEO of Altenheim Senior Living in Strongsville, Ohio. The nonprofit continuing care retirement community started in 1892 as a nursing home, but over the years, it's added a variety of services. Skilled care, however, will always be a part of its mission. I talked with Paul about the challenges of being a non-profit in the skilled nursing space, and about how senior living and skilled nursing are changing. I'd also like to thank our podcast sponsor today, Point Click Care. Success isn't just getting to PDPM. It's about being ready for what comes next. Learn how you can prepare to go confidently into quality-based care with Point Click Care. So, Paul, thank you very much for making the time to join me today to talk about what Altenheim has been doing to get through the changing skilled nursing and senior living landscape. I really appreciate that you're able to join me today. My pleasure, Maggie. So the very first thing I want to dig into is you were covered in uh, Crane's article speaking about the need for nursing homes to diversify their services and branch out. Can you walk me through the history of Altenheim and the services that it's historically offered?
1: Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Altenheim is a not-for-profit organization. And believe it or not, it's been around for almost 127 years. It was founded back in 1887 by a group of German-American ladies in the Cleveland, Ohio area. And back in that day, in the 19th century, of Northeastern Ohio was a big immigration hotspot for folks from Europe, especially from Germany, Italy, uh, Ireland, things of that sort. And so there was a big uh, German-American group living in this area, and they had uh, various clubs and organizations, and one of those was a women's society, German-American women's society. And so they wanted to give back to the greater Cleveland community. And so they were looking for various ways they could do that, and then they came up with uh, two ideas. One was to build and support an orphanage, and the other was to build and support a home for the aged. And uh, that's what our name is—is uh, is, uh, even today Westside Deutsche Frauenverein doing business as Altenheim. And what all that means is uh, Westside. A German American Ladies Society, and Altenheim means home for the aged in Germany. And so, anyway, there they were. There were sixty-some German American ladies, and they had about two hundred and sixty bucks to their name to build and uh, attend to this home for the aged, which is, was not enough even back in 1887. And so, they looked for some benefactors help them out with the construction project and they found some but these benefactors said we're not going to support you financially unless you break ground now so they really had a lot of faith and they went ahead and broke ground with their 260 some dollars and with the hopes that uh, these benefactors would uh, stick true to their word to support them and they built the nursing home in 1892 it opened debt-free, believe it or not. So I don't know these days whoever builds a nursing home that opens debt-free, but that's what they were able to accomplish. And These were all volunteers. And so that nursing home was built on the west side of uh, Cleveland proper on Detroit Avenue, which is real close to Lake Erie. It's pretty close to downtown. And they stayed there for, oh my gosh, they stayed there until 1980. So I guess that's, 88 years on Detroit's uh, on Cleveland's near west side, and it was a nursing home, and it was purely a nursing home. And back in the days, you know, what would happened is that uh, folks would, uh, you know, give the remainder of whatever assets they had to the nursing home in return for care for life. I don't think there was a lot of government involvement uh, in the in the services back then. But anyway, so it started out as a nursing home and it stayed that way on Cleveland's near west side for 88 years. And then finally, at that time, the volunteers who were members of the board of directors and still the Ladies Society, which remained involved with the organization and still is today as one of the main volunteer groups, said we've got to upgrade our, our facilities. And so they found a nursing home in a suburb of Cleveland, which was newer, and uh, they sold the land that they were on to a hospital, an, a neighboring hospital, and uh, moved over to an existing nursing home in Strongsville, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland Southwest area. And so we have uh, been in Strongsville, Ohio, ever since 1980. So let's see, 90, 2000, 2010. So like 39 years and uh again we started out as a nursing home but kept building that nursing home business i don't know how many beds they originally started out with but we kept building and building over the years so today we have 170 skilled nursing beds which is almost like two nursing homes if you if you will because you know most of the uh, i would say you know the, the average nursing home size at least around here is probably about uh 98 beds 100 beds so almost two nursing homes that we have in, in one facility here. So the history of Altenheim has always been as a home for the aged, and for forever, for about 100 years or so, that meant nursing home. And that's the only business we had up until more recently.
0: So can you talk a little bit about when Altenheim began to expand outside what might be considered the traditional nursing home? And what sure. services did you add first and... Why did you add those services?
1: Well, I've got to say my involvement with Altonheim. first of all, so give you a little background on where I'm coming from, is uh, I served on the board of directors for about 13 and a half years, and I was served as president for the board of directors for about half that time. And again, that was a volunteer position and it happened that way because I was very active in the German American community, which is still rather strong in the Northern Ohio area. And so I wanted to give back to that community. And so when I joined the board back in the 1990s, we were seeing that the industry was starting to change and that consumer expectations were changing. You know, back in the day, uh, there were four or more residents living in one room in a nursing home. And, you know, it was very institutional, like a hospital setting. And so that wasn't cutting the mustard anymore, and uh, people didn't really want to stay in that type of an environment if they didn't have to, and I don't blame them, who would? And so the advent of assisted living, at least in this area, came to the forefront, and even though it was rather slow at the outset, um, some providers were looking to expand in that arena, and so Altenheim was one of them. And uh, back in, uh, by 2001, we had completed our first assisted living project, which is called Shermer Place at Altenheim. And the way we did that was we bought some uh, neighboring parcels of land. We live in a uh, residential area to a large extent. And so we would, when available, um, buy parcels of uh, Know houses that neighbored our property, and so eventually we built up our campus to about 16 and a half acres and uh, built Shermer Place at that time, which was a 60 unit assisted living facility. We call that residential care facility in Ohio, and uh, that would, and those are apartments, so instead of having you know a room that one might share with a stranger, these are apartments that. One could share with one spouse and, uh, or significant other, but it provided for much more privacy and a much nicer setting because instead of just a single room, you had a little kitchen that you had a living room you had a bedroom and a big bathroom. You know, even in the nursing homes, sometimes uh, bathrooms weren't private. There, uh, Jack and Jill bathrooms are shared with the neighboring rooms. And so we built that, opened in, in 2001. And thankfully, it filled up uh, within the first several months, and that was kind of cool. So that was our first venture beyond the skilled nursing. And so then we continued uh, continued on after that uh, up to the present day. We just completed our last construction project last summer.
0: What was that construction project?
1: All right. So I mean, so I guess I'll just uh, keep going on, on how on how Olenheim expanded its services. So you know, more and more, we saw that. Uh, The consumer demand was for more privacy and better types of living arrangements, accommodations and services. And so we expanded the the Shermer Place probably about four or five years ago. We added uh, 25 additional assisted living apartments. So in that, so now we have 85 apartments on our campus that are assisted living. And again, those were... Within you know within I would say three months of opening those were all filled, (laughs) Uh, which is good for us right and good for the consumer. But I mean there's a there's a second reason that we decided to do that. It was you know consumer demand. Obviously you've got if one wants to be in business one has to provide a service that consumers want. And I think that's one of the issues that nursing home organizations have been slow to deal with. You know they you know. A lot of nursing homes think that, yeah, well, we're just going to keep providing the service that we've provided for the last 50 years and hope for the best, but it's not going to work. You know, within the next several years, uh, I have a feeling there are going to be a significant amount of uh, skilled nursing home providers that are going to go out of business unless they change their mindset. And so,
0: you know, another reason,
1: though, for besides the consumer demand is the Ever-changing government reimbursement scheme for skilled nursing facilities, uh, Medicare and Medicaid. There are so many regulations that uh, one has to comply with as a skilled nursing provider, and they're just getting more and more. And, you know, they just keep piling on. Now, that was just a quick example. I mean, this uh, October first, Medicare is overhauling its entire payment scheme for nursing homes. And, uh, and besides the regulation and, and Medicaid is, uh, in Ohio, um, the fiscal year starts July 1st, the budget has not yet been completed by the, by the state, but they're thinking about changing portions of the reimbursement scheme for Medicaid in Ohio as, as well. And so, besides all the regulations that nursing home providers have to deal with, this is in Ohio, but I am sure Medicare applies across the country, and I'm sure that in other states there are a lot of Medicaid issues as well. Besides the regulation, another issue with regard to Medicare and Medicaid is a rather flat reimbursement scheme. Medpac, which is an advisory organization to uh, to the federal government, every year says uh, recommends that the federal government not increase Medicare rates. Can't you know, remember, you know, in recent memory when they ever advised that. Uh, nursing home providers should get an increase, and uh, Medicare, Medicaid has, uh, was uh, in Ohio, was, was basically flat for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, last year we got a little bump, and this year we may get a small bump as well, but when I say a small bump, I'm talking, I just estimate, even though the state budget hasn't been completed, and it won't be completed until close to the end of June, that I'm gonna get at the time is probably gonna get an increase of about one point three seven percent of Medicaid rate. So you know one point three seven percent in increased revenues doesn't do a lot when folks expect a three percent increase in wages every year and the pharmacy bill goes up eight percent every year, etc. Um yeah. so we what we were thinking about was let's get let's try to get out from underneath Government reimbursement scheme and add more private pay services and adding assisted living um, enabled us to do that.
0: So, what sorry,
1: the I, sorry, the family um, on, but uh,
0: no, I, it's great. I wanted to ask though, on that front, related to the government reimbursement, you mentioned the need to get out from under that model. And one thing that I've heard about a lot from life plan or continuing care retirement communities is there's chatter that they need to either get out of the skilled nursing portion of the business or drastically reduce it and do you plan to keep the 170 skilled beds that Altenheim has or reduce that and whatever you're deciding you know what is the reason behind that decision
1: all right well that's a great question and uh, that's something that you know we're looking at right now as part of our strategic plan and, you know, it all relates to the stuff we've already been talking about. Um, folks don't want to be in a nursing home if they don't have to. And the government and also private insurance carriers are going to uh, keep their reimbursement uh, scheme as uh, as flat as possible to the biggest issues. So what's the future of, of nursing homes? And, you know, we see that, you know, where there may be a need to reduce the uh, bed size at least for... This particular facility and what we've done is you know we have uh, have added even more assisted living which opened last April in 2018 on our campus and that was a memory assisted living facility called Shermer place memory assisted living and that has 38 apartments and the reason for that is these days if if uh, the consumer has financial wherewithal, the consumer has money, the consumer is not going to a nursing home. The consumer is going to go to, either going to stay at home as long as they can and receive home care and private duty services, or the consumer is going to go to an independent living facility get home care or private duty, or if need be, the consumer is going to go to an assisted living facility and pay, you know, pay private pay. For that, because it's a nicer setting, and assisted living facilities promise to provide uh, equivalent care, if you will, than is being received in a nursing home. Albeit that, you know, it's not possible because uh, nursing facilities have a much higher level of staffing than do assisted living facilities. But the consumer wants the apartment setting, and nursing homes want the private pay to get from out, out from under the nursing home reimbursement scheme. So the other thing, and so the only thing left for nursing homes in my point of view for the long term is the Medicaid population. And that's okay because there is going to be, people are always going to run out of money. There are always going to be people that run out of money, especially in the baby boomer generation. They've saved as much as the greatest generation. And, you know, it's part of Alton mission. Limeheim is a not-for-profit public charity, and it will always be part of our mission to take care of folks that need our services, um, for example, because they have run out of resources. So we'll always have a Medicaid population. But that's where, in the, over the long term, that's what the future of a nursing home is for folks who have run out of money and have no options on where to go. And also for short-term rehab services. So folks that uh, just come out of the hospital, they had a hospital stay, but they're not quite ready to go home yet. They need additional skilled nursing services or therapy, physical, occupational speech therapy services and convalesce for another two or three weeks before they go home. They're going to go to a nursing home for that short term stay. And so we also built that we built a just opened up last August, August of 18, we opened up a therapy rehab center. And with regard to that, you know, our history has been that nobody wants to come to a nursing home for rehab once they get out of a hospital. The last place anyone wants to go. The joke is the only place that's worse than a nursing home is a funeral home, right? But uh, so we built a therapy rehab center. It's not called a nursing home. Certainly doesn't look like a nursing home. It looks like a spa. It's all private rooms, all private showers. You know, fine dining, a wonderful state-of-the-art gym. It's got water therapy. And we have a, uh, a courtyard, outdoor courtyard that's used for therapy, and it's also being uh, christened as beer garden. People can go out there and enjoy themselves, weather permitting, in kind of a spa-like atmosphere.
0: So, One thing I wanted to ask about that was on um, the Crane's article that led me to you guys mentioned an outpatient therapy provider. Um, can you? They described it as a purchase. Can you go into that and what the relationship is there?
1: Yes, yes. So we purchased an outpatient provider that has been active in the uh, stronghold community for about 17 years ago. And, you know, again, this leads me to another reason that there is still going to be hope for nursing homes, as far as the short-term rehab business goes, and even outpatient therapy. And that's because the government is pushing everything to the lowest cost setting. In other words, uh, things that used to take place, the care that used to be provided in a hospital um, are now being provided in an LTEC or in a nursing home. Things that used uh, services that used to be provided in a nursing home are now being provided in... Just the living setting with home health care or at home with home health care. And you know, in surgeries, I mean, for example, you know, orthopedic surgeries, many times uh, they used to have some sort of inpatient stay involved with those, whether that be at a hospital or at a nursing home. Now it's like you know, one day in and out, you go home with, uh, with therapy or you get outpatient therapy. So, because of the lowest cost setting initiatives. The, uh, both the federal and state governments are pushing, you know, it's our it's our plan to perhaps uh, to, to follow that and minimize perhaps the extent of services that are at the top end of the acuity, uh, you, know, you know, past the scene as where to go if one has a high acuity such as a nursing home and expanding into a lower cost setting because the dollars are going to follow there. And so, Outpatient is one of those lower-cost settings. Uh, Home health care is a lower-cost setting. Independent living is something that we're going to look at in the future as a lower-cost setting. Assisted living and memory-assisted living, we've already expanded into and may expand into in the future. And so it very well may be that we reduce our skilled nursing footprint and expand in those lower-cost settings.
0: Gotcha. one thing I want to do note is that um, these are investments. They are not going to come free, and you are positioning yourselves for where you see healthcare going. Can you talk a little bit about the financial impact for Altenheim? I know the Crane's article mentioned that you reported a positive net income in 2017. How did that compare to years past in terms of Altenheim's financial situation?
1: Well, it, uh, it was less. It was less than what we were used to, and the biggest reason for that is uh, something that we've been talking about, and that is the reduction in private pay residents at the nursing facility. You know, a pretty startling statistic is that you know, the uh, is that in the past, private pay patients or the residents at the nursing home were here for the long haul. They were long-term residents for you know, two or three years or longer. About a year ago, we did an internal analysis of what the average length of stay was for a nursing home resident at the all-time. And it was about 47 days for a private pay residents, the average length of stay. So what that means is that folks are coming to the nursing home basically when they've run out of money and assets. Prior to that, they've used the lower cost setting for their services, whether that be at home with health care, assisted living, independent living with private duty services, but they only come to a nursing home when they have you know one month left of financial resources. Um, so the impact on the all-time um, in the, this past year, I'm going to compare 2018 to 2017 because I just saw the audited financial statements, our private pay revenues at the nursing home went down. million. That's a lot for us. And so we had to make it up somehow. And, you know, another reason for changing, the spending a lot of money on building rehab centers and uh, private pay assisted living facilities is that that's what the competition is doing. So in our immediate market area, which um, is like the five-mile radius from Altheim and Strongsville, Just over the past two years, about 400 grand spanking new beds have opened. And most of those are assisted living beds. And one of those is the skilled nursing facility down the street. And so because of that, that has reduced our private pay census at the nursing home even longer. So there's really no choice in making significant capital investments. In the post acute business if one wants to remain in business because if you don't you're just going to continue to see a reduction in patients, the reduction in revenues because the competition is springing up everywhere and the dollars are going away and so that's what you're right we spent about 23 million dollars over the last couple of years and if you want to add the addition to Sherman place we did about four years ago we invested over $30 million into our campus into assisted living, memory assisted living, and short-term rehab business. And we also purchased that outpatient therapy practice. And we also opened a home health care agency and a private duty agency. All that's been done in the past five years ago or so. And it's because it's such a rapidly changing business. But I wanted to mention to you, That I have a feeling that some of these providers that are bringing up with new independent living and assisted living facilities are doing so just a little bit early. I think they're jumping, they're really starting to be top heavy in their investments, uh, capital investments on independent living and assisted living facilities. I think they're jumping the gun just a few years too early. And let's think about that. I mean, who needs these places? Probably folks that are in their 80s. And so take a look at the baby boomer generation, which is what everybody is, you know, building these facilities for. And the uh, baby boomer generation started in 1945, right after the war. And so uh, the, the, the oldest baby boomers are how old? You know, 45 to 2019. What is that? 74 years old. So the oldest baby boomers are 74 years old. And they probably aren't going to need, so we're not going to start seeing that big upswing in the need for assisted living services until those folks get it well into their 80s. So I think uh, some providers are probably at least six or so years ahead of the gun, and uh, I have a feeling they're going to see that, you know, six to ten years from now, that might be prime time to build and even the youngest baby boomers, that goes to 1963, so those folks are 56 years old. So I don't think you're going to be seeing a lot of 56-year-olds in assisted living facilities, and you're not going to be seeing them there for another 24 years. So I'm a little bit surprised to see the level of construction that has been taking place over the last few years on the independent living and assisted living level, and I'm, I'm thinking that uh, some of these uh, developers, I don't know how much experience they have in our industry, because you know it's, it's one thing to build a 55 and over uh, community, but these folks, the baby boomers, they're going to need health care. That's mm-hmm. a whole different animal, and that's one thing that I think skilled nursing providers are going to be able to utilize to their advantage they know how to provide healthcare they have nurses they have attending physicians they have nurse practitioners they have state tested nursing assistants they've dealt with pharmacists etc they've dealt with hospitals they know how to provide healthcare these developers that uh, haven't been in the healthcare industry i think are going to find and have a rude awakening to the level of service that's required to keep these folks satisfied and the attendant cost to service
0: them. Yeah. And it's interesting how the different interpretations of the demographic data have come into play. I've heard wildly varying accounts of when the aged cohort is going to hit. And it's amazing how many different takes there are when everyone is looking at the same numbers.
1: Right. I agree. I mean, I can see that uh, you know there's a, a benefit to building a whole lot of assisted living beds now and taking them away from a nursing home, and that's basically just taking the existing clientele. But there's an extent uh, there. There's a there's a level at which it's, it's probably overbuild because baby boomers aren't there yet.
0: One thing I did want to make sure I asked is about the status of nonprofits in the skilled nursing space. You are a nonprofit. There's been a lot of pain in that front for for nonprofits. I've heard quite a bit about the struggles that skilled nursing, that nonprofits with a heavy exposure to skilled nursing have had. Can you talk a little bit about just your experience working in this field as a nonprofit provider? And then where do you see nonprofits with a heavy skilled nursing presence going? What do they have to do?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think Altenheim, for example, is is uh, heavy on the skilled nursing side at this time. And, but Unfortunately, for a lot of nonprofit life plan communities, which uh, is what Altheim is, which means basically we offer the whole continuum of services on, on a campus. They luckily started out more recently than Altman did. They're not 127 years old, and they started out, you know, building the independent living and assisted living facilities, and only have a small contingent of skilled nursing beds, which is probably good for them. So, you know, they're ahead of the alt-time in that regard. But you know some of the struggles that nonprofits have had, in my opinion, you know, and it's just my opinion, is that perhaps their leadership sometimes may not be as business savvy as some of the for-profit providers. For example, they are uh, run by volunteer board members, and uh, some of the uh, management may not be as savvy as some of the uh, management that is. Uh, that may be found in a, in a for-profit venture, but I think that over the years, you know, more recently you can see that that has been changing, and folks on the nonprofit end are as, as experienced and have as much expertise as, as anybody out there. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, some of the benefits of being a nonprofit provider.
0: Oh yeah, another before I get to that, another
1: detriment is you know, a lot of nonprofits are are single-site, so they don't have the efficiencies of scale that some of the multi-site uh, for-profit ventures have. And there are some non-profit uh, multi-site ventures as well, some of the big ones, but there's a lot of small ones as well They're on one site. so the, We don't have the economies of scale that some of the big for-profit ventures have. But on the other hand, you know some of the uh, strengths that non-profits have with, uh, that I really have come to appreciate is the fact that we can utilize our financial resources, optimally, for resident care. So for example, Yeltenheim has been able to set up a separate foundation in which it puts its um, surplus revenues from time to time. And that foundation can be used for various uh, things to improve care. It can be used to improve facilities. It can be used to support Services it can be used to provide scholarships to staff, and you know uh, I, I th- and you know whereas in a for-profit facility, I'm not saying it's evil or anything, but the, the one of the main objectives of uh, for-profit providers is to provide a return to the shareholders. So for-profit, we have to provide a return to the shareholders. non-profit, you optimize the financial resources in service of the. Population that's being cared for, so that's that's a big benefit. And so, you know, historically at the all time, what that's meant is we provide a higher level of staffing than a lot of for profit providers uh, do, um, because we're going to invest in in that staffing because it's uh, it'll optimize care. If you don't have staffing, you're not going to have good care. But and I think staffing, you know, that's something that we haven't touched on yet, but that is going to be the biggest issue, in my opinion, over the next several years with regard to skilled nursing providers and other post-acute providers, um, you know, assisted living, independent living, home health care, because, well, right now, the economy, the labor market is so tight. Uh, it's the tightest labor market. I just read an article um, in the Wall Street Journal that said it's the tightest labor market in 49 years.
0: Yeah, I was going to say staffing is an issue now, like let alone in the future.
1: Right. So, and, and then you've got so you've got the tight labor market. I think the the unemployment rate's like three point six or three point seven percent. I've read that uh, you know there are more than a million jobs, uh, job openings and there actually are applicants to fill them. And in addition to all that, you have all these new assisted living facilities popping up, and and home cares are expanding. And hospitals are going more to population-based health, and they're building micro-hospitals. And everybody's competing for the same labor force. And so that is something that I think the nursing providers are actually going to, some of them are actually going to have to substantially reduce their number of beds or actually go out of service because the competition for labor, uh, we're seeing that um, you know, there's a big push to increase the minimum wage to $15 per hour. And here locally in the Cleveland area, uh, a hospital, one hospital has actually started to implement that here just recently. And the Cleveland Clinic, one of the biggest and best health systems in, in the country, has uh, promised to increase the minimum wage to uh, $15 per hour starting in 2020, next year. So that and all the, all the development of these assisted living facilities is really putting a push on having to raise wages for nurse aides, state tested nursing assistants and, and also nurses. And in fact, here at Holmheim, you know, our wage administration was uh, last, uh, last December and we increased uh, nurse wage wages uh, at an average of about five and a half percent even though you know inflation was much lower than that and just a couple days ago at the board meeting we just improved another three and a half percent increase for nurse aides so within a five-month period we've increased nurse aid wages by an average of nine percent and that's because in our, the tight labor market and we just had 400 beds of assisted living and nursing facilities come online in our market and I think that uh, folks are seeing similar things across the country You know, and that's not only with regard to nurse aides which by the way hospitals in our area are starting to use nurse aides now so that has even more competition for, for that service but it's also all the entry level positions that everyone is fighting for now You know, the dietary aides, the housekeepers, the laundry personnel, the receptionists, the activity aides. You know, they can, you you go up and down the main street in Strongsville and uh, a lot of businesses have signs out front, you know, hiring, now hiring. So if one isn't careful, you know, their staff is going to leave for 20 cents an hour. And we just raised, uh, we're going to be raising all of our entry-level positions, are going to be raising their wages as well, mid-year, so they, they received an increase in December, and five months later, they're going to receive another increase, and who knows how often we're going to have to do that as long as this tight labor market exists, but I have a feeling because of the baby boomer population, you know, in six years or so, it's, this is not a short-term issue, it's probably going to be with us for as long as we can see
0: yeah, it'll be very interesting to to see what the future holds for sure. Well, Paul, we are covering up on the time. So thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today and for taking time out of your day. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. It was fun talking to you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing news industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Maggie Flynn, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.